I'm Laura London, and this is a special video edition of Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 123 is Jungian analyst and publisher, Dr. Robert Hinshaw in Einsiedeln, Switzerland. He graduated from Northwestern University, trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, and received a doctorate in psychology from the University of Zurich. While a student in Switzerland, he worked at James Hillman's Springhouse, where he helped publish the Spring Journal and later co-founded the publishing house Daimon Verlag. For 45 years, he has been publishing the work of Jungian analysts, as well as the yearly Eranos yearbook and the IAAP Congress proceedings. He is the literary executor for Anila Yaffe, which has made possible the new book, just published by Daimon, titled Reflections on the Life and Dreams of C.G. Jung, which is the subject of our talk today. Dr. Hinshaw has worked as a training analyst, supervisor, and faculty member at the C.G. Jung Institute in Kusnacht, and is in private practice both remotely and in Zurich in the very building that housed the original C.G. Jung Institute and where the Psychology Club remains to this day. Please visit our website, speakingofjung.com, where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This video interview is being recorded on Sunday, August 13th, 2023, through the magic of StreamYard. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you and I actually met in person uh, during my visit, my one visit to Zurich back in 2015. And we spent some time together in Einsiedeln, um, that beautiful town, in your office, uh, your Diamond Furlog office, and then in your office in the Psychology Club. So I'd like to bring in our slides that we're going to show, we're going to share with the listeners today. And we have a lot of photos to share with everybody. And you are here to... First of all, uh, talk about this new book that uh, Daimon has published titled Reflections on the Life and Dreams of C.G. Jung by Anila Yaffe from Conversations with Jung. But let's start at the beginning. This is a photograph that you took of the original C.G. Jung Institute in Zurich. It's on Gemeindestrasse. And when you sent me this photo, I remembered that I actually have a postcard, the postcard that was that you had printed of this photo. Well, that's an interesting story because uh, I used to be a photographer. And when I first came as a young student, I, of course, was I always had my little camera with me. And uh, I took this picture of the Institute. So this was 1971 or 72. And um, I showed it to the secretary at the Institute at the time, Marty Buchler. And she suggested, why don't you make postcards? There's so mm. many people who would love to love to have a copy of this. And I happened to be living in a in a I had a room with a photographer family, the Hofstetters at Kreuzplatz, uh, very close to the institute. So I had it. I had the dark room, and I printed up a whole bunch of uh, postcard-sized copies, and, and and then they sold them at the institute for mm -hmm. many years. Mm -hmm. So there are a few of them around. So that's the building where they started the the original institute in 1948 and it looks a little different today right well the building itself is at the same shape the same structure and everything but the the lines have been removed and it's uh maybe a little brighter and more sparkly because in 2016 it was the 100 year anniversary of the founding of the club the building belongs to the psychology club of zurich uh, that was started in 1916 by jung and several friends and um, for the celebrations, they kind of spiffed it up. But basically, it's still the same. Um, hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. So the Psychology Club uh, is still there today. And you have an office upstairs where you have an analytic practice. That's right. If you look at the top floor, that sort of middle window, if you, there's mm -hmm. two sort of alcoves in an, a, a bigger central area, that, that's mm -hmm. the window to my office on the mm -hmm. top floor. No elevator. So 
Right. Has to keep in shape to come for sessions, and I go up up and down several times per day. Right. It's a really beautiful building. I'm I'm so happy that I got to see it. And today, uh, the Jung Institute is located in Kusnacht, the town where Jung lived and worked. And this is a photo of the Jung Institute today, where you you also work, right? That's right. I, I'm on the um, admissions committee, so I. I interview people who are applying to come as um, as wanting to study together with several others. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course we have classes there, we have we have meetings there and so forth. It's, it's still a very active institute to this day mm-hmm. and still very international. And it's on the lake, on Lake Zurich, right? Yes, it's just about uh, maybe uh, four or 500 meters from Jung's house. So just slightly north of where Jung's house is. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it's a building that belongs to the community of Kusnacht. This building, uh, yeah. This building here, which so we rented uh, as an institute. Mm-hmm. And they offered it um, in 1980. They said, uh, this is a building that we own and it's uh, available if you'd like to move here. And Dr. Adolf uh, Guggenbuehl Craig was curatorium president at the time. And he and the curatorium made the decision to move there, which was very controversial because... Uh, people loved the old institute in the psychology club building. Yeah. But it was way too small for the institute. It was really just one floor. The lecture hall really only comfortably seated about 30 or 40 people. And so it was mm-hmm. standing room only when a popular speaker would be there. Mm-hmm. The library was very small and so forth. And uh, here was an opportunity to go to a much bigger building to be in the community where Jung had lived and worked, as you said. Yeah. And uh, much more, there's a beautiful big lecture hall there now. And, and uh, the library is still way too small, but but uh, yeah. much bigger than the other one was. Mm-hmm. But there are, there's plenty of room for the people who work there. There's, uh, there's a picture archives, there's a student room, kind of a lounge uh, and so forth and so on. It's just a much better space. So in the end, I'm, uh, I have no doubt that it was the right decision uh, mm-hmm. when we decided to move. But but an unpopular one in, in the first moments. Mm-hmm. So this is the current CG Jung Institute. And then the building that we showed in the previous slide is the psychology club. That's and right. that brings us to your publishing company um, that you co-founded uh, diamond Furlog. And I took this photo when I visited you back in 2015 and this is the archive room. Yes, it's a very old building, uh, I think 700 years old or something mm. like that. You wouldn't think it when you look at it, but mm-hmm. uh, because it's been renovated a few times. But we're extremely lucky to have the top floor of this building. So, and we have um, four four big rooms in a, in a big hallway and a kitchen and so forth. So it's a, it's a very comfortable place to work and to be. Um, this particular picture is of the archive room where we keep manuscripts and uh, old books and uh, um, where we can do editorial work and that sort of thing. And the nice thing is we have a fantastic view. We're right across the Klosterplatz from the Benedictine uh, Abbey. Uh, yeah, we're going to show pictures here in a second of, okay. of the of the Abbey. Yeah, I just, I have, uh, I took a photo of you showing me the Aranos yearbooks. You published the yearly yearbook. Uh, from the Aranos conferences and been doing yes, that since the 90s. Go on this day and, yeah. and uh, in their statutes, uh, they're required to do a yearbook of each one. So all of the lectures that are given each year are, are published then in a yearbook, which um, we've been doing since the early, I think early 90s is when we sort of took over the publishing task. And we distribute all of the yearbooks, including the older ones going all the way back to 1933 when Aranos first started. Mm. And you ship worldwide, don't you? These are all available uh, directly from Diamond Furlog. There'll be a link in the show notes. Yeah, they're, they're available, but I have to warn you that the shipping costs have gone up so much now that uh, the, the shipping costs more than the book sometimes. Okay, so I think some of them may be available on, on Amazon. Um, I'll... Yes, I think so. I'm, I'm quite sure they would be. Okay, I'll we find can, a link to that. You can also still get, the, get books from Aranos directly. But but we officially um, have it on our website and we distribute the books uh, when there's a when there's a, a request. And Diamond Furlog's website is diamond.ch, D-A-I-M-O-N.ch. 
Uh, I just snapped a couple of these photos when I was there visiting you. And this is, uh, again, 2015. Uh, a while ago. Yeah, a little, little, little bit ago. But it was a great day. And I, love, I loved seeing the town. And as you mentioned, uh, one of the things that was, I mean, uh, speechless, that this is the Benedictine Abbey that houses the Black Madonna, the Black Madonna of Ein Siedeln. I did an episode about it with Jungian analyst, the late Jungian analyst, Fred Gustafson. That's episode 10. Because as I was walking out the door, you handed me his book about the Black Madonna. And you suggested that I get in touch with him when I got back to the U.S., and I did. But this is from your the window, right, of your office. Mm -hmm. I originally had my photo in here, but the, but your photo is much better, so I replaced it. Oh, it's breathtaking. And, and one can hardly make a bad photo of this beautiful place, mm -hmm. and especially full moon is there behind it. Um, Fred Gustafson and I were students together at the Institute mm -hmm. back in the 70s, and, That's right. and he, had, he had done his thesis work on the Black Madonna. And um, I ran into him at a congress many years later, uh, I think it was in um, Barcelona in 2004, and um, just mentioned to him that, that you know, my office was right across the street from the monastery, and I, and I, I valued his book. And he said, well, it's been out of print for many years. And I said, well, would he be interested in, in possibly having a, you know, a new edition? He could bring it up to date and correct, make corrections and so forth. And he said, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really very much focused on Native American things now. And mm -hmm. uh, he, so he, he basically said, no, let's not bother. But about a month later, he wrote to me and said he thought about it. And, and um, he really would be very happy to do a new edition, which mm -hmm. we then did. And, mm -hmm. uh, book is available again and uh, that's what I gave you I thought it would be interesting for you since you had been there and I thought Fred might be an interesting person for you to interview yes and again that's episode 10 of speaking of Jung with Fred Gustafson here's another one of your photos of the Abbey this is in the winter obviously and here is the Black Madonna there were no photographs allowed uh, in in the um, in the in the abbey so uh i scanned the pamphlet that i took from there and this is a photograph of her and as you mentioned they change her clothing periodically based on the she season 36 outfits i think 36 now, outfits various people over the years have donated these these absolutely gorgeous ah. brocaded uh, dresses and and uh, according to the time of the year the, the you know the church year they, they they change the colors she has green ones and yellow ones and a black one and each more stunning than the other yeah yeah and, uh, i don't know exactly how they determine which ones get used which years because some i haven't seen for a long time and then suddenly she's wearing it again mm. but it's it's a uh, it's wonderful being right across the square from the monastery it's a beautiful place to go over and be quiet you know, just be be there sitting in front of her and, and, and being quiet. And sometimes one of the monks maybe is, is uh, playing the organ or possibly there's a mass going on up in the front part of the church. It's, uh, it's uh, just a, a wonderful place to live and a wonderful place to work. Mm -hmm. being, and, being there and yeah, and Jung actually lectured here. Uh, it's the birthplace of Paracelsus and that's where he delivered those lectures. That's correct. It's the birthplace of Paracelsus, uh, a little bit outside of town. The the, the alchemist and healer who um, worked so much with uh, nature and with um, natural remedies and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the centenaries for of, of his birth, uh, Jung was invited to you know come and give a lecture, and he ended up coming a second time too. I think it was in 1941 and 1943 that he came okay. and gave lecture in the great hall of the uh, monastery. Mm -hmm. both of which are published in the collected works. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to why we're here today, which is to discuss the new book that was, well, it was just released in English, uh, was published this year. Was it earlier this year published in German? Two years ago, actually, in German. Two years ago. Quite a while to get things in, into shape for the for the English edition. 
For the English edition, it is titled Reflections on the Life and Dreams of C.G. Jung by Anila Yaffe from Conversations with Jung. And this is the full book jacket. Uh, and I mean, where should we begin? This is the actual book that I have. It's a beautiful hardcover book and it's printed on exquisite paper. Um, there are photos throughout, which we're actually going to show you here today. Um, and it is made up of several parts, this book. There is a preface, which you've written, an introduction by Mrs. Yaffe, and the historical commentary at the back of the book by Elena Fishley. That's correct. So tell what us about I, what the I book. Think, what I think is particularly relevant is, uh, I was just thinking before we started today, that uh, your, your podcast is called uh, Speaking of Jung, and the material in this book is Jung speaking of Jung. Mm. Uh, it really is him talking about his life, thoughts, reflections, dreams, and so forth with Anila Yaffe. And she, of course, took notes during her conversations, which lasted for four or five years, more or less 1956 to 61, um, during parts of those years on a regular basis. And um, well, what it is, is it's him talking about his life and, as I said, those various other things. And then she used that material, her raw material from her shorthand notes, to put together memories, dreams, reflections. But she didn't use all of the material. She used maybe two thirds of it. She sort of, there were some things that were blocked either by the publisher or uh, some objections from, the, from others, from the Jung family. But um, there was material that didn't make it into memory, dreams, reflections. And so she always thought the rest of this material is, is important. And Jung actually trusted me to, to publish it. it. It was his wish that his story be told. Um, and so she started to put together a manuscript after memory, dreams, reflections came out of kind of a second volume. It's not as much material. It's only maybe about half as much, but there are beautiful, beautiful um, uh, vignettes and, and uh, reflections that are in this book that didn't make it into memory streams reflections. And rather than organize it uh, chronologically like memory streams re reflections is, she picked mm -hmm. four main themes and she put the um, material more or less into those four sections. Would you like me to say what the sections are? Is there? Yes, yes, please. Okay, so part of it is on um, on personality and life experience. That's, uh, and it, it's a lot of short pieces. Some are only two pages, some are maybe five yeah. pages because these were fragments. These were things that were left over, but but uh, they're beautiful. And, and some examples of this first section, accepting what life presents me with. On my mother's second voice, memories of the young of the young Einstein. He didn't like talking about the people he had met. He said those were outer events. And, and what was really important to me were the inner events and yeah. how I experienced them. But he was pushed, Anjali Afe was also pushed by Kurt Wolf, the American publisher, to get him to talk a little bit about some famous people that he knew quite well, or not fairly well, like Einstein, who, who did come to his house for dinner several times and they had conversations. So there's a section on that. There's a chapter on Tony Wolf. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, uh, wondered why she wasn't mentioned more in memory streams reflections mm -hmm. and he did talk about her and have some dreams about her that now come in this volume and then um there's a beautiful story about father hubertus heals the little elephant at the circus mm -hmm. knee circus knee is the swiss national circus and they have their headquarters close to bolingen where jung had his tower and he tells this beautiful story of a baby elephant that gets sick and 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 how this uh this monk is able to heal the elephant. Uh, that's one of the ones, one of my favorite ones. Mm -hmm. um, then if we go to the second section, it's on, psych, on psychiatric and analytical practice. So he talks more about his work analytically. Mm -hmm. one, one chapter is called On Working with Patients Diagnosed with Schizophrenia or on the Phenomenon of Suicide, Thoughts about Suicide and how to, how to um, work with that. Uh, with people who are suicidal uh, and so forth. That's a shorter, um, a shorter section. That part is only about uh, 30 pages. 
And then there's a longer one that's on the here and the beyond, where he talks about life after death, dreams of a post-mortal existence of my mother, further dreams about Tony Wolf and Emma Jung after their deaths, um, the dead appearing as animals, and so forth. So you see, they're, they're really fascinating themes that he addresses. And, and uh, uh, we move to the last section, which is human image, human image, God image, and worldview. Um, that's uh, got several chapters, one of which is on the unconsciousness of God. And he talks about theological questions, uh, life after life after death, and, and so forth, what his attitudes are towards Christianity. Some of the things that he had already addressed in Memories, Dreams, Reflections, but there's mm -hmm. more material here. There's on, more. On those. And then what's important in the book is that... Um, uh, Elena Fishley, who who was was working on the pulling it all together and preparing it for publication in German, um, beefing up the footnotes and so forth, she yeah. came across more and more material about mm -hmm. the story behind the story. Mm -hmm. um, she 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 we had all the correspondence of Agnella Yaffe with various people, with publishers and and so forth, uh, and with Jung uh, during the time that they were having these conversations. And she realized um, there's much more to the story than, than what has been told mm -hmm. so far. And it needs to be told about all the ways that, um, especially that Annie Aliyafi was marginalized. They always tried to make it sound like it was the biography written by Jung. And in many of the editions in other languages, for example, her name isn't even mentioned on the cover. You're talking about memories, dreams, reflections yes, now, memories, which is dreams, which is usually referred to as Jung's autobiography, and that's really not accurate. Right. I mean, in a certain sense, it is in that he's talking about himself. It's about his life, mm -hmm. but he did not write the book. Yeah. Uh, Annie Aliafi is the author, and she made shorthand notes, and then she typed those uh, up from her handwritten notes into the typewritten version and that's what's called the protocols um, and then she worked on the protocols and made them into memory stream dreams reflections and then later into reflections on the life and dreams of cj jung okay so let's stop for a minute so okay. there's a several parts to this then so before memories dreams reflections was published it was altered, right? It was altered to kind of be laid out more like an autobiography. Well, that was the that was the aim of Kurt Wolf, the the American publisher, and the one American who actually publisher. initiated okay. the whole idea. Okay. Um, yes, he wanted it to. He thought it would sell much better, and I'm sure he was right. If it mm -hmm. would, could be presented as Jung's autobiography, and so he said, "Do everything you can that um, you know that you're out of sight to Anjali Yaffe, and uh, put it in first person." You know, that have Jung speaking, I remember this, or I dreamt that, or whatever. Uh, so it sounds like it's him speaking, uh, which is the way it really was. But, of course, she edited that. It's not uh, pure Jung in the sense that it's exactly verbatim. There, there wasn't an, an audio recording made. It was her handwritten notes, the way she remembered it. Was and that, then, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, was that, all of that editing, was that done after Jung passed away? No, that was done. Uh, that was done. Um, you know, it went on for five years. So she was editing okay. it um, during the time Jung was alive, and he saw much of it uh, before he died. Okay. Um, he, things were going back and forth between New York and Zurich, and uh, being cut out. And then there was some pretty heavy-handed editing that was being done in New York, and so both Jung and Yaffe objected to that, and they sometimes we're able to put things back in the original form and sometimes not. Okay. So there was a lot of back and forth as, as to what to put into memories and whatnot. Yeah. And then how it is presented and, and titles of chapters and so forth. And uh, that's where the historical commentary by Ellen officially is so interesting is because it, it documents all of that. It mm -hmm. might be a bit tedious for somebody who's not really interested, but, but uh, I find it fascinating. It reads almost like a novel the way, yes. the way, um, the way, um things went back and forth and to finally get to the, to the version that was published. Mm -hmm. And the historical commentary uh, is, I mean, it's over a hundred pages. It's about 150 pages. Yes. Uh, it, it's the last section of the book. Mm -hmm. And 
So just to reiterate, this new book is the published notes of Anila Yafe, and she very, very much wanted this to be published actually before she died, but it wasn't. Yes. And so she well, put she it in your very, there was a There was a lot of um, um, disagreement about copyright issues. Okay. And so she, 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 she didn't want to publish it as long as that wasn't clarified. Sure. She did make a couple of uh, of attempts, and then and then she realized uh, there's just too much of an objection coming about this copyright question, okay. uh, and so she withdrew it and, and uh, said we have to wait until the moment is ripe. And then when she was getting older and realized she wouldn't live much longer, uh, and that it wouldn't be published during her lifetime. Um, she asked me to be her literary executor and to take over the responsibility for that and her other writings. And she said, do anything you can to try to get this published when the time is right, when you when you find a way to do it. So um, it's been and that a, was in, in many years. Yeah, that was in 86 that she uh, placed the, the manuscript in your hands and then she died uh, shortly after in 91. But what's what I found interesting is that she actually wrote the introduction to this book. Yes, she had she had a, her own version of it, you know, typewritten, uh, all ready to go. I mean, that was before the days of computers. So uh, she had typed everything herself and, and typed the introduction and, you know, with the footnotes and everything else um, in an early version. And um, that was, she had, she had put, I think, one copy in the Eteha archives and she had given a copy to the Jung Institute and, and, uh, and then she gave a copy to me at that point, saying, "When, when you can, and when the time is right, please do publish it if you can." So you were able to publish it in German a couple of years ago, and that was that same book was translated. I was translated by Caitlin Stevens into English. And here we are. It was released on July 15th of this year, 2023. And uh, it's available. Uh, it's available on Amazon uh, at a discount right now. Uh, if you use the link in the show notes for this episode. So we would like to share with you uh, the photos that are inside the book. Again, that's uh, just a photo of my copy. And we'll start here at the beginning uh, with the first photo. Okay, well, this is Aniela Yaffe had a little Leica camera, which is a very good camera, as mm -hmm. most of you probably know. And she took some pictures of Jung at Bollingen, which is what this is. You can see it's really sharp. It's really, it yeah. really shows him uh, just being himself, uh, sitting there next to the next to the wall. And there are three or four other photos that we'll be seeing that she also took, which uh, are quite well known. This one is not so well known, but, mm -hmm. but there's a couple of others that have been used many times for book covers and so forth. Yes, this is another one of hers where he's cutting the wood. Um, everything was done by hand at Bollingen. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't have electricity. There was no running water. So they had to keep fires going, boil the water, do the cooking. And uh, Jung was hands-on. I mean, that was his way of being close with nature. Yeah. Cut his own wood, built his own fires, cooked his own food. I think about that. that a lot. It inspires me to to stay connected to nature. And I love the way he dressed. I mean, he's not wearing, you know, a t-shirt and shorts. He's got, uh, he's got the jacket on. I love that. I love that. And then here he is with the stone that he carved. This is one of my favorites. Yes. Also made by Anya Leofi. Uh, she took this. There. Yes. She took all three of the, the ones mm -hmm. that we've just seen. And uh, yeah, he's there sitting in the chair. The chair is still there at the tower. Mm. The, the family still uses the tower for mm -hmm. uh, vacations and so forth and once in a while a tour is allowed to come in and, um, and and visit but this is the famous orphan stone that he carved uh, with one of the stones from the quarry across the, the lake uh, that provided all of the other stones for building the towers and um, you can see he's got his pipe he's uh, he's relaxed he's reading um, that he's was the, the kind jacket of on. That maybe uh, most people didn't get of him but because she was there with him so much she was able to catch him kind of in these moments. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. She was very close to him. She was his private secretary. Um, but yeah. let, let's, let's give a little background as to how she 
met him and got to know him and how she she got so close to him. How did okay. that happen? Um, this is all documented in the in the historical uh, commentary, but I'll yes. just sort of do a sketch of it. Um, she was a refugee. She was a Jewish refugee during the Holocaust to, to Switzerland um, and had a, a Swiss husband at, for a while at the beginning. And uh, that was in Geneva. And when she came to Zurich, she was um, having a lot of uh, doubts and, and uh, of course, sorrows with the war going on and worried about her family and what was going to happen to the world and so forth and so on, like many people were. And she went into analysis with Liliana Fry-Rohn, who is another uh, prominent um, Jungian analyst in, uh, now. Uh, yeah, I think we have one, her here. And one of our authors. She wrote the book From Freud to Jung, which we published. Yes, there she uh, she's on the right in this picture. Uh, this is them at bowling. And, and uh, she also wrote a book about Nietzsche. She attended all of Jung's Nietzsche seminars on mm -hmm. Zarathustra. And she wrote a kind of a psychobiography of, of, of Nietzsche. At any rate, Aniela Yaffe was working with, with Liliana Fry in analysis, and she was bringing these uh, prolific dreams. And Liliana Fry kept thinking, um, I can go as far as I can go with her, but I, mm. my capacities are limited. Mm. And she, she talked with Jung about it, and, and Jung said, well, send her to me. And so Aniela Yaffe was sent on to Jung with some of these dreams, and he was very taken by her and the dreams. Mm. and. Um, and he uh, encouraged her to continue. Uh, she had almost no money at that time. She was working as a secretary for professors at the university and so forth to, to pay her bills. Um, so he said, you don't have to pay for your analysis. Maybe you can help me sometimes with doing research or whatever. And that worked out very well because she was very well educated. I mean, she had gone to top universities in, in Germany uh, she was in med school for a while and then decided to major in child psychology and she transferred to uh, the University of Hamburg and was she had written her dissertation and was just about to defend it when the Nazis um, proclaimed no Jews could be professors and uh, mm. the professor was uh, fired from one day to the next and, uh, mm. and soon she was also kicked out of the university because she refused to give the Hitler salute. Mm. So she never got her doctorate, even though she had done all of the work. And this was very useful then when she was working with Jung because she she knew psychology. She she yeah. was very um, well educated and could read and, and uh, edit his material and understand it. Right. And uh, that was how they first got to know each other. That was in the early forties, and um, and then. Later on, when the Jung Foundation, or the Jung Institute, was founded in 1948, mm -hmm. she was chosen to be the first administrator secretary. It was all mm -hmm. because it was very small at that time. But this is the old Jung Institute in the Psychology Club building that we found. Yeah. And uh, she was, she was, you know, performing that job as a 50% uh, employment and got to know all the students and she was teaching herself at times and that was for seven years and then Jung's regular secretary that he'd had for many years um, ended up resigning because she was getting married and moving away and he was desperate for a new secretary and he asked Aniela Yaffe if um, she would be willing to transfer from the institute duties to becoming his personal secretary mm -hmm. and she hesitated because for one thing, she, she knew she had a, a a task to fulfill at the Institute. Of course, somebody else could do it too, and that's what happened. But she also didn't know if it would be a good idea working with Jung on a daily basis. And, and um, she talked with Emma Jung about it, and Emma strongly encouraged her. And um, she decided she would take the new position after, mm -hmm. after deliberating about it for several weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, she started going on a regular basis to work with Jung then with his, he had a tremendous amount of correspondence. Yeah. As you can see from uh, the small selection of it that's been published. And um, of course, they got much closer. And, and uh, Jung warned her at the beginning that part of this job means you have to put up with the tempers. Mm -hmm. Be grouchy sometimes. 
And she said that definitely was something she had to learn, but she said um, there were many other aspects which were more than compensated for that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, when they were drinking a cup of tea and having a break together and um, just talking. And they, he, he was, of course, a man who was spouting ideas all of the time. And, and um, she said the conversations with him during break times were, were, were just wonderful. Mm. And the work was interesting. He was corresponding, of course, with uh, many very interesting people. And right. He trusted her more and more as time went on. And sometimes he would just tell her more or less what to write. And she could write the letters and he would just check it and sign it. And um, she had a lot of responsibility then. Yeah. So she was kind of the natural choice when it came to uh, when Kurt Wolf came up with the idea of having a biography or an, an autobiography, whichever we call it. Um, there had been other attempts before. People tried to write biographies, and, and, and Jung was never happy about that. He said, um, um, biographies are full of falsehoods and autobiographies all the more. I'm definitely never going to write one myself. If somebody else writes it, it's hard for me to imagine. But in the end, he agreed. He said, if it can be Aniele Afe, whom mm -hmm. I trust and who understands me. And uh, so she again hesitated a bit but then she she agreed to take this on with some um there were what jung had decided to do was he would have ea bennett who was a psychiatrist from england write as a man and as a doctor more about his work to write a, a biography at the same time which is a book that exists it's not as yeah. well known uh ea bennett wrote a biography of jung and to have Aniali Yafe then work with him closely and have he would uh, just tell stories and, and recollect things and, and uh, tell his dreams and so forth. And she would take the shorthand notes and, and then put it into a form that could be published. So that's kind of what led up to her being in that uh, very unique position of being the biographer of Jung. Mm -hmm. Of course, she took a lot of flack for that too, because many people were jealous. Sure. Uh, imagine the, in the schools in, in Zurich, uh, there were many people all vying for Jung's attention and, and um, mm. very confident people, and they each had their roles to play. But she then had this very central role of, of being his uh, authorized biographer, you could say. Mm -hmm. And she later practiced as a Jungian analyst herself, and she she was analyzed by Jung. She was in analysis with him. Yes, yes. After Liliana Fry, those, those early sessions, she then um, uh, analyzed with Jung for a long time. And uh, and became an analyst herself, mm -hmm. and she had her own practice right up until the end. Right up until the end. So I had shown a few of the early photos uh, that are in the book. Yes, this is her as a young girl in Berlin. She grew up in Berlin in a very well-to-do uh, arts-related family. Um, there's a lot of detail about that in the in the historical commentary. Mm -hmm. so I won't go into too much detail now. She liked to have fun too. I mean, she was a very serious scholarly person, but but uh, I like this picture because it shows her playing the accordion. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know the story behind it. I don't know exactly where she was or what she was doing. Yeah, was in the snow with short sleeves. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then is this at Aranos or Bollingen? I'm not sure where that is, but it could very likely be at Aranos. That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. This there is definitely is. at Aranos. They're sitting okay. on the wall. The wall. The wall is outside of the lecture yeah. hall. And Jung lectured there. There's Liliana Fry on the left and Anjali Afi on the right with Jung also at Aranos at the wall. I was going to say Jung, of course. Yeah was a part of Aranos from the beginning and gave many, many lectures right up until uh, the early 50s was his last one. And um, she, of course, went in the years after she got to know him. She often went along. She had stories to tell about how the caravan of Jungians from Zurich would drive over the Alps. That was before the tunnels were built. And um, so it was a long trip of many hours to get down to Ascona, to the Italian oh, parts. Oh, right. And um, that was a high point of the year was there because Jung was at his best and, and there were many other very interesting speakers. Um, uh, they would bring together speakers from many different fields. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was a 
a multidisciplinary conference at a time when that wasn't really popular. Yeah. These days, it's something that happens quite often, but in right. those days, it's extremely unusual. And Olga Ferber, the founder of Aeronos, mm -hmm. um, really was um, was kind of a pioneer in that. Mm. And after Jung died, and, and um, you know, that first generation of speakers was um, pretty much gone. Aniela Yaffe herself was invited to become to become an Aeronos speaker, and she actually gave four lectures herself uh, over the course of about a ten-year period at, mm -hmm. at Aeronos. There's that picture we saw before with, yeah, and here's another one yeah. uh, with um, the two of them sitting in the wall and living on a fry to the right in the other picture. Mm -hmm. So she and Liliana Fry became quite close friends. They they lived very close to each other on the Zurich Berg. And uh, right up until the day that Liliana Fry died, which was a few months before Aniel died, um, they were close friends and mm. staying in touch. And, going over to each other's apartments for tea and that sort of thing, as well as both being active members of the psychology club. Mm -hmm. Then we come to this, this yeah. photo this of Jung just kicking back. Yeah, this is at Bollingen again, and, and uh, another picture made by Anja Leofi. And uh, you could see the wine is on the table. Uh, he loved his wine, but he always had a book there or a manuscript or something to be working on. Yep, got his um, feet up. Mm-hmm. I, I I like this picture because I think it shows her depth in a way. You see, she mm -hmm. was a very deep person and she experienced a lot of sorrow in her life. Yeah. First and foremost, the Holocaust and, and uh, the loss of a lot of friends and some family yeah. through that and, and her family being dispersed all over different parts of the world. One sister went, ended up in London, which is where her parents also finally uh, emigrated to with her help. Um, that story is also told. In yeah, the, after many uh, years of staying another behind. Sister, um, another sister, her youngest sister, married a quite a famous uh, orchestra conductor and ended up living in New York, New York okay. City. Um, but yes, she saw a lot of sorrow in her life. And you can see in this picture, that she's uh, a little bit melancholy. Yeah. This was um, given as an example of how, uh, when other editions of the book came out, they pretty much eradicated her from it. Uh, Aniela Yaffe is just not even mentioned. It's C.G. Jung, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. And uh, part of the idea of, of bringing this book out now with, of course, Jung and, and his anecdotes and, and stories, uh, but the historical commentary is to kind of rehabilitate Aniela Yaffe and to, show how she really was was kind of uh, pushed out of the picture, even though uh, she was the one who actually wrote the book and it wouldn't exist without her. Um, it's really important that people realize the role that she played and yeah, how she was omitted as, as in this picture. And, and there are many, many, many other examples where there are covers of Memories, Dreams, Reflections without any mention of, of uh, the author of the book. This is the French version. She's mentioned there, but in small print on the same line as the uh, uh, as the translator. Both translators. Yeah, this is another one of the fun ones. She didn't travel that much, but um, here she is riding a camel in the desert. It's um, she did make a trip to Israel, which she almost never talked about and or wrote about, but uh, found in her papers that uh, she would actually made a trip to Israel, and it was very very meaningful for her. Mm -hmm. uh, when she went there. And this is her in Egypt, right? Yes. Uh, I don't know any of the background because, again, it's a photograph that we found. Oh, not okay. She gave to me. It's not one that she told me about, but, ah. but uh, it, was in, it was in her paper. She just had a few personal wow. photographs that uh, she had kept. This is a picture taken by her nephew, Frank Herman, uh, uh, her her, her uh, sister in England had two sons, Frank and Luke Herman, okay. who uh, I later became friends with, and and and, um, and they helped a lot with uh, with family history. And mm -hmm. uh, this is a picture that Frank made one time visiting. They would come at least once a year to Zurich, usually the two of them together. 
and visit her in her little apartment on the Zurich Berg. And uh, I like this picture. It shows her maybe when she's, you know, in her, I think, early 60s. Mm-hmm. And having a happy moment because she's there with her family, a little bit yeah. of her family that was left. This is a picture that I made um, her on her balcony uh, just a couple of years before she died. Uh, But you can see she still has the bright eyes. She still has an alertness. She was alert right up until the end. Mm -hmm. So I think this might be the last photo. No, we have a couple more. We have a few more. Yes, this is the one with uh, her. This is her. um, Another thing that I should mention is that she was almost totally blind Mm -hmm. uh, the last years of her life. Her eyesight deteriorated greatly. And um, she had to use a magnifying glass to be able to read it all. And and you see what she has in her hand there. I have have it here. (laughs) She called it her termchen, which means little tower. Okay, you froze up up a little. Would you hold that up again? Yes. I'll put it up. You have it right there. There it is. Yeah. yeah I treasure that and I use it myself now. Mm. But, uh, she would always bring out her term sheet and uh, when she needed to read something. Um, and um, she she wanted to keep reading to the end. And, and yeah. it was a lot of work to read. Uh, mm-hmm. So she sometimes, um, what she was doing was she was hiring students from the university to come and read to her. To her. Uh, and that proved to be doubly valuable because not only could she go back and revisit maybe things that Jung had written or that other people had written that she wanted to reread or to hear again, sort of like audiobooks, you know, before audiobooks right. yeah. started becoming popular. And and uh, she sort of became friends with these people who were her readers. You know, they were these young students and they got really interested in her. And uh, she could tell them about, you know, in psychology and maybe talk with them about their dreams and so forth and she she mm-hmm. had a real rapport with these young students which uh, uh she, she she would really uh, be happy when she would tell me about the sessions that she had with them mm-hmm. yeah there she is very close to the end um, um just shortly before she died um so she's probably about 87 88 years old at that picture mm-hmm. um that next one then is her sitting in the backyard of Jung's house. Yes. I don't know the story behind it, but um, it, I would guess that it was probably maybe around the time that Jung died. Maybe this is after he died, oh. just before he died. Uh, you can see it's fall. There's lots of leaves. Mm-hmm. She's very well dressed, with a hat mm-hmm. and a long coat. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, another of those pictures that we found is uh, I'm, 90% sure that this is her at the Jung Institute, you know, during okay. the years typing there. You see she has a big old manual typewriter. Yeah. And the, the, the kind of door, the kind of walls and so forth mean that it's probably the Jung Institute, although it could possibly be at Jung's house also. Uh, I'm not completely sure. But, um, you know, she earned her living for many years before she became an analyst um, and, and an author and so forth uh, by by uh, being a secretary working she worked for various professors at the university she had also worked at the children's hospital she had worked at uh, various places where she could have contact with with children because she still loved that kind of work and as i mentioned before she she um, was interested in children's psychology and she wrote several what, books herself that she wrote a number of books herself um uh do you, do you want to do you have a list of those there? Like Word and Image is one of her best known books. Uh, and, Word and Image is something, yeah, is a book that I've spoken about a lot on this podcast, especially in the beginning, because it was my introduction to Jung. It was the first book that I picked up and bought and read and loved and then bought several other copies of it. Uh, she edited that book, um, s- sometimes referred to as the picture book. And she also read, when you and I were speaking earlier, you said that your introduction to Jung was Man and His Symbols. That's right. And she wrote... She wrote one of the five essays in there. It was the last Mm -hmm. one that Jung wrote before he died. Mm -hmm. um, It came after he had those BBC interviews. And and, uh, uh, he realized he needed to write something that a broader public could understand. So he tried to write a kind of a summary, an introductory summary of his psychology 
and then four of his closest associates each wrote uh, each wrote each wrote an essay. So Anya Yaffe and Joseph Henderson and Yolanda Jacobi and uh, Marie Louise von Franz each wrote an essay in that book, which I think it was only published after Jung died, but it was mm -hmm. kind of his last piece. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the way that Word and Image came to be, the book that you said was your introduction and was, yeah. uh, for many people, uh, for Jung's 100th birthday, they um, they had a big exhibition in Zurich uh, at the Helm House where they sort of said 100 years of Jung's uh, prominent uh, Swiss citizen and so forth. And they had photographs and stories and vignettes of his life and so forth. Mm. And a number of people approached her afterwards and said, couldn't this be made into a book? Yeah. Uh, exhibit, you know, disappears, but uh, is only temporary. Right. But, and so she took that material and then and then wrote some additional text to go with it. And uh, it is the picture book, as you say, because it has beautiful pictures from Aranos, from Bowling and from the Psychology Club and so forth, uh, kind of Jung's world, you could say. And then with uh, with some text to to um, back up the pictures. And some unpublished letters are in that book and some photos that had never been published before. Mm -hmm. um, but she wrote several other books too. And um, mm -hmm. the one I asked her uh, towards the end of her life, what she felt was her most important book. And, and, and she said, well, The Myth of Meaning, mm. entitled The Myth of Meaning. Um, do I have it here? Yes, I can just quickly hold it up. Yeah. Uh, the Myth of Meaning. Yep, there it is. I remember I tweeted from that book. In The, the Myth of Meaning in the work of C.G. Jung, and uh, it's probably her deepest book, and, and, and uh, it's very much herself writing, but of course it's about Jung and his work and, and, and this whole idea of finding meaning in our lives, you know, that, that that's what makes life worth living. But how do we find it? And uh, many people who come into analysis come because they don't find meaning in their lives. Yep. And what can be done about that? Uh, how can one find one's own meaning, one's own myth, one's own story? Yeah. So she wrote that book and she wrote another um, quite well-known book on uh, death dreams and ghosts. That's right. That was, a, Jung wrote the introduction to that, I think? Yes, he did, because he originally was asked to write the book. It was a, it was a, one of the, the Swiss national radio had collected people's stories about ghosts right. and, and death dreams and so forth. They'd done this huge survey and they had all this material, a massive material. And they sent it to Jung and asked if he would please comment on it and, and, and maybe make a book out of it. And mm -hmm. he said, absolutely not. I have no time for this. <laughs> And he asked uh, Aniela Yaffe if she would do it. And, not, uh, not because, sorry to interrupt you, not because of the subject matter, but just because he didn't have the time. Yeah, he was yeah. overwhelmed with work. I mean, this was late in his life when he was um, you know, getting old and he had so many things he still wanted to do and right. didn't have the time or the strength to get to them. Um, and she valiantly agreed to do it. I mean, it was a, a big job sorting through all of that material, but it was fascinating material. And, and, yeah. and she wrote this really interesting book. I mean, uh, um, so that's another of the, you know, major things that she did. Um, she made a, let's see, there's this other book called From the Life and Work of C.G. Yes, Jung, yes. Which, uh, it's a collection of essays. Um, Jung's Last Years, that was from uh, a lecture she had given at Aronost. Parapsychology, Creative Phases in Jung's Life, Alchemy. And then C.J. Jung and National Socialism. I mean, he's, uh, as most of you probably know, he um, sometimes is accused of being anti-Semitic and, and, and she said she needed to really address that issue. She, as a Jewish woman who yep. knew Jung really well and knew his work, and she takes through all of the various arguments, uh, the accusations that were raised and, and uh, which ones have merit and which ones don't and what her personal experience was and deals with that whole issue in an in-depth way. So that was another very valuable contribution that I think she made. Mm -hmm. Again, the title of that book is From the Life and Work of C.G. Jung. I will provide a link to it in the show notes. And so those are those four are, are hers. And now this one. Well, she has other things too. I mean, she made contributions to others. Sure. For example, this mm -hmm. book, unfortunately, is not out in English yet, but uh, okay. Im Umkreis des Todes, that means concerning death, and it's an essay that 
she wrote, as well as one that Marie-Louise von Franz wrote and one that Liliana Freyron wrote. So ah. three different essays on the topic of death as older women who were facing, you know, the end of their own lives. Uh, so, and did you publish that? Yes, it's published by Diamond in German. We haven't got it out in, in English yet. There have been very. I think that, there would be, yeah, a lot of interest yeah. for that in English. Yeah, that's going to, that's on definitely um, in focus and it's it's coming, but it might take up a year or two before we, we sure. get it out. Sure. There are always so, many parallel projects going on, you know, at the same time. And we, uh, right now, for example, we're having a whole bunch of things. Some were delayed and some were fed up. And so suddenly we have way too many things on the table all at once. And um, when that happens, some things have to keep, be put on the back burner. Um, so I've added this uh, to the, I think this is our last slide. Um, this is a new book, right? That's yes, in the works? Um, yes. Um, when we started, on, you know, the, our main focus was Jungian history. Um, books that were going out of print, things about Jungiana, about the history of Jungian psychology, and books uh, by the first generation Jungians. And that still is a big part of our program. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a book uh, written by Andreas Schweitzer, who was uh, a Jungian analyst and was uh, president of the Psychology Club in Zurich for many, many years until last year. And he was given a whole cache of letters uh, by a relative of this woman, Hedy Wies, who had been in analysis with Jung for many years. She was a painter herself, an artist, um, not a famous one, but but um, she painted some very impressive pictures, uh, some of which are reproduced in the book. And what Andreas Schweitzer has done is he's he's gone through the the, the letters are had never been published before, and they're now published mm -hmm. for the first time in this book, and he sort of tells the whole story chronologically of this relationship between Jung and Hedy Wies. And, and, and Jung talks about a lot of important things, not just personal things between the two of them, but okay. more, more on, a, on an archetypal level. Mm. Uh, so I, I think it's a very valuable book, book and it's also a, a continuation of bringing out some of this Jungian history that, that uh, there's still so much that has never been published. Yeah, and, and this, this is, is out now. Direction. It's at the printers right now. Okay. So um, in September, it's officially going to be released. Okay. I will keep the listeners uh, up to date and include... I thought I would just mention that to show that the history goes on. And at the same time, we live in today's world and we, we are publishing a lot of books by contemporary Jungian analysts as well. Yep. We have, uh, we've done several books by Anne Yulinoff in New York, mm -hmm. uh, including her latest one, which was, um, which was about um, what was going on during COVID, how she... How she uh, coped and how she reflected and so forth during the COVID period. And um, and then Renata Daniel, we have three books of hers, one on nightmares and another on Psyche and Soma. Renata Daniel has been the director of programs at the Jung Institute for, I think, 12 or 13 years, and she's just retired this summer from that position. But she's also a prolific author. Uh, so we've been publishing her work. And Tess Castleman with her work with Dreams and Groups. Uh, very contemporary, and and so forth. I could go through a long list, but right. I just wanted in order to mention that we have a balance between contemporary things that are being written about analysts working today, as well as continuing with um, with the human history whenever. Yeah, well, the up. history is very important, uh, and I like to go straight to the source. Um, I don't, I don't go to people who didn't know Jung or train with anyone that knew Jung, I, I like to go straight to the source. And so you can't get uh, any closer to the source than, than this new book. Um, so again, it is titled, I'm going to bring it up here, Reflections on the Life and Dreams of C.G. Jung by Anila Yaffe from Conversations with Jung. And I would like to ask you one more thing about the protocols that are set to be uh, published by Princeton University Press uh, and the it's a project of the Philemon Foundation. And yes. it was titled The Protocols for Memories, Dreams, Reflections. Would you kind of clear that up on the differences and how that's yeah. coming along? That's very important. Uh, what the protocols are, that's the name that's been given uh, to Aniela Yaffe's original notes, uh, 
Okay. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, she, from her conversations with you during those five years, uh, from 56 until 61, she had her own sort of system of shorthand. It wasn't the official version of shorthand, the professional kind. She said she developed her own system of shorthand. Mm -hmm. um, and she would have her little notepads and she would take notes as they spoke. And then she would go home at the end of the day and type those up. Okay. Sometimes it would end up being the next day or in a couple of cases, even maybe a week or two later. But whenever possible, she would do it as soon as possible so that her memory was still fresh. And so she would put it in her typewriter and and um, uh, have a typed version, and she would make carbon copies of those. Uh, these are what's called the protocols. So it's not verbatim, Jung, but it's very close. It, it's her short notes being put into words and so on. A lot of times not complete sentences and sort of a thing, just right. uh, uh, fragments, you could say. And um, then she worked on those, you know, she went through various stages. And what she sent to the publisher in New York then was, uh, you know, was the typed up version, still not, you know, put in the form of a book like Memories, Dreams, Reflections, but okay. it was the basis material. And um, she would send those on a regular basis to Kurt Wolf. Uh, at Pantheon, you know, in the, the New York publishing house. And she kept her own and worked those further. And then she destroyed her own. She didn't think there was any reason to keep them. So we don't have, you know, the original handwritten notes at all. And we don't even have her original typed, you know, version from, from the handwritten notes. But because Kurt Wolf never returned the notes that uh, she sent to New York, even though she requested them, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there was a, a blessing in that in that the the notes were preserved, and this is material that was used, as I said, to write memories, dreams, reflections, and, okay. and and also to write the second uh, book, the the uh, reflections, reflections that's just coming out now. Okay. And there's a little bit of material that didn't make it into either one, you know, some fragments and so forth. And so this this corpus that's that is referred to as the protocols is this kind of raw material. Uh, that's formed the basis for both books, as well as a little bit more. And this is what is now being worked on by the Philemon Foundation, and specifically Sonu Shamdatsani. He's mm -hmm. the editor. And um, he's been working through that material and adding commentary and footnotes and so forth. And I think it's a little bit like the black books to the red book, you know. Ah, uh, right. And, and uh, that was kind of his raw version. And then he sort of took the gems out of it or took the nuggets, whatever you want to call it, the things that he thought were most important and, and, and painted the pictures and so forth and, and made the red book. Yep. Uh, this was the raw material that Anya Leofe had from which Memories, Dreams, Reflections was made and Reflections was made. But it's fascinating to look at it before it was refined, you know, before it was put into sections and sentences and in one case, chronological order and so forth. And so Sono has been working on this now for a few years yeah and the editing process is is finished um okay thomas fisher from the family from the young family and i from from the uh yafia state are consulting editors so we've been okay following the process and, you know seeing parts as you know, has uh worked on them and that process is finished now and it's in what they call peer review what princeton university press does as a university press is they they put out manuscripts and have experts in the field who remain right. anonymous, I don't know who they are, to mm. look at the material and see if they feel that it's worthy of being published and so forth. And that can take several months or even up to a year. And that's what's going on right now and, and, and why the book hasn't come out yet. But okay. Probably in about one year or maximum two years, uh, that will be appearing as a Philemon Foundation edition within Princeton University Press and entitled uh, Protocols or The Protocols. So the new book, your new book, Diamond's new book, Reflections, is different from the protocols. The protocols are the raw material, right? That's right. And uh, Reflections is more the history of Memory Streams Reflections with the historical commentary added. So that's, that's how they differ. Yeah, well, it's her refined version. She edited it, and as I said, uh, put it into this four main topics and um, of course put it into complete sentences and yeah. you know, polished it like you do when you edit a, a manuscript. That's that's what she did. 
and um, and then the historical commentary comes as the second part of the book. Mm-hmm. I just would like to mention that Diamond yeah. is, of course, uh, a, we're a team. Um, uh, not this would be possible without all of us, you know, pulling on the same rope in the same direction. Um, uh, Ellen officially has been there from the beginning, um, uh, mainly concentrating on the German program. Okay. And Heidi Fessler has been running the office for for about thirty years, and uh, she's she's uh, taking care of the accounts, she's taking care of the timing, the printers, and all of that sort of a thing. And Robert Imhoff, who lives in France, but it's almost daily contact, does mm-hmm. all of the formatting, the the uh, IT work, and all of the other things that are so essential to to publishing books. And uh, it's a great team, and I'm I'm, I'm just really grateful to everyone who's a part of it and that we've been able to keep time on going for this long. Well, we are all grateful to them as well uh, for getting these books out into the world. Uh, they're so important. And again, the website is daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N dot C-H. And I want to thank you, Dr. Hinshaw, uh, for joining us today, for taking the time and for you know sharing your stories and uh, the, the, the truth about this book for sharing it with all of us. We want to thank you for that. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Speaking of Young is made possible by listeners John Temple Jr., Ralph Gotzelman, Eric Hoops, and Doreen Gordon. If you'd like to help keep Speaking of Young on the air, please visit our support page at speakingofyoung.com support. On our website, you'll find more information on everything discussed in this episode as well as all of the previous episodes, available to stream or download commercial-free. Speaking of Young is also available on YouTube podcasts, which you can access by subscribing to this channel, Jungian Laura. It's free. Just click the subscribe button below. Speaking of Young was created eight years ago and still exists today because of the generosity of our listeners. All of our content is free to access but it's not free to produce. Please consider visiting the support page on our website to help keep this podcast alive. I would like to extend birthday greetings to Maria Magdalena de Maria. Thank you for your love and support of this work. With very special thanks to everyone at Diamond Furlog, I'm Laura London, and you've been watching a very special video edition of Speaking of Young.